0: Hey everyone, this episode is a recording of a teaching I did at Gospel Centered Recovery at Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Gospel Centered Recovery is a ministry that exists to help men and women see victory over addictions through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about it, you can check the show notes for a link to GCR, Sailorville Church, as well as the video version of this teaching and make sure you check the show notes for an important announcement as always uh, this is i think my third time at gcr and it is such a blessing and a privilege to be able to just serve christ basically by getting up here and just being a bible nerd with all of you so um always excited for tonight uh so it was kind of uh, uh, funny almost um so the last two times that i prepared to come to gcr i talked to david i said hey just sign me up throw me in wherever he's like all right this is your date here's your text Cool, so I don't pick and choose. The last two times when I was preparing, I was reading, it's like, oh, this is easy slam dunk for a program like GCR. I mean, it was just laid up for me right there. And so this time he gave me 1 Thessalonians 4. And I I read the chapter first, and the first half of it is talking about, uh, you know, God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be more like Jesus Christ, and he wants you to flee from sexual immorality. I'm like, all right, another easy one, awesome. But as I was studying, I read, the whole book of First Thessalonians, I read the chapter several times and I really think that God was directing me not towards that really easy and obvious one but towards what I'm gonna be talking about tonight and I'm not gonna to pretend to know God's will in that but what I think is that a lot of times as Christians especially in a program like GCR we get so wrapped up in just changing our behavior and just doing right and and not wanting to suffer for you know whatever uh, issues that we're having and a lot of times we get so focused on what we're doing that, that we completely forget why we're doing it. And so tonight, ultimately, that's what I wanna point us to, is not just change behavior, shape up, do better, pray more, but instead remember why it is as Christians that we even care about killing sin in our lives and pursuing holiness. And so that's what I wanna to do tonight. So our text is gonna be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Um, I'm gonna read it entirely, and then we'll kinda of get into It can seem weird it may even be a a new concept to a lot of you if you haven't been around the church much and heard much about how christ is going to return and what that's going to look like Um, so as we're reading this there's one thing i really want us to focus on because it's going to drive really everything that i'm talking about tonight and that is the very last verse where he says therefore encourage one another with these words Now, with this, you're gonna get a little added bonus because I'm gonna give you some tips on how to read your Bible and make sense of some confusing things. So one thing that I was introduced to when I was being taught how to read the Bible is to always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? It is a very specific and very important word in really all languages that is telling us something specific. And when we pay attention to it, that is going to make us pay even better attention to what we're reading and it's ultimately going to make us stop reading a verse of the day and instead read books of the bible so that we can understand everything that's being said so when paul here is saying therefore encourage one another with these words what therefore basically means is because of what i've said now do this so when paul is saying therefore he's saying because of all the stuff that i just told you because of what i just said because of the truth that i just laid out for you what I want you to do with it is to go and encourage each other with these words. And that's what I'm going to do tonight, is I want to encourage you with the words that Paul is speaking here, because Paul knows a very specific truth, a very important truth. And because of what Paul knew and what he wanted this church in Thessalonica to know, he was saying, because of this, you should be encouraged. And I believe that all of you here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you too can be encouraged with what Paul's talking about here. So, what is it that is so encouraging? Ultimately, I think that Paul is driving us to a kind of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I think there's three things that we can be hopeful for that can encourage us no matter what our circumstances are, what the world looks like, or what we think about the future. Now, the first thing that we know is that we can have hope through knowing truth. Because Paul says here at the very beginning, "We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers." So when he says uninformed, he's saying that If you don't know this, you're not going to have hope. I don't want you to live your lives. I don't want you to think. I don't want you to believe without knowing this specific truth. Now, what he's specifically talking about is those who are asleep. Now, obviously, he's not telling people don't freak out about people who are snoozing. Um, In the Bible, when they talk about people being asleep, that is a very specific Christian term that means Christians who are dead. Now, as we're going to see, there's a reason why they specifically say that Christians who die are asleep. It's because when you're sleeping, the assumption is that you're going to wake up, right? That sleep is just a temporary state that you're in. And for Christians, death is the same way. Our bodies may be dead. They may be in the ground. But that's not where we're going to be forever. We have a hope. We have a future. And when we understand that, we're going to have hope. And he also says that he doesn't want uh, these Christians to grieve as those who have no hope. Again, when we understand this, we are going to be so much different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world, their greatest hope, their greatest um, uh, joy, their greatest happiness, the best life they can live is the 60, 70, 80 years they get on this earth. After this, there is no hope for them. There is nothing good that's waiting for them if they die without Jesus Christ. But Paul's saying, Christians, you are different. You have a hope that extends far beyond this, so that even those believers who are dead, you don't need to worry about what's going to happen to them. Now, for just a little historical context on why Paul is saying this specifically to them, um, if you read the Old Testament, there, when, when Old Testament writers, you know, Moses, David, those guys, when they would talk or think about death, they had one word for it, and it was Sheol. It was the grave, because in the Old Testament, Nobody went to heaven because Christ had not paid for sins yet. So this church then, they still kind of had that Old Testament mentality of, well, when we die, we just go to the grave. And as far as they knew, no one ever escaped the grave because they had no concept of people going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And so this church was, we can assume, very likely worried because... You know, Christ had come and the, the apostles had come through their town and they had told them the good news of Jesus Christ and people were seeing that they were sinners and they had broken God's law, but Jesus Christ died and paid for that. And these men and women, they had called upon the name of the Lord, they had asked Jesus to save them, and they were waiting for Christ to come back because that's what they had been promised. But what do you do when someone dies waiting for Jesus to come back? They're in the grave. No one escapes the grave. And so Paul here is telling them specifically, hey, don't worry, because there is something coming after death. Death is not a, a, a long-standing thing. It does not hold you anymore because of Jesus Christ. Um, and then with that, he also again wants them. You know Romans twelve two. I love, I love that GCR uses Romans twelve two because it's, it's so applicable to anything we're thinking about in God's Word. Because what he's calling them to is don't think like the rest of the world. Have your thinking transformed by what you know is true in Jesus Christ. So that is number one, is that we have hope in just knowing the truth. When we know what's true, then we have a reason to hope because we know the source, the object of our hope is Jesus Christ who can never fail. Now with that, we also have hope in death. He goes on to say that this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So when we die, we don't need to be afraid. I mean, that's a huge and important thing is that death is scary, right? I think we can all admit that. We don't know what's coming. Just like the first time I got up to speak at GCR, it was scary. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know if you guys were equipped with tomatoes. I didn't know if I was gonna be booed off stage. (laughs) New things are scary and that is okay, but we can never let our fear of the unknown override what we know is true in Jesus Christ because death is just the next step. Most of us are very likely going to die if the Lord does not return while we're still alive. And another thing here to realize, though, is that we as Christians have hope in death, but not everyone is going to have hope in death. Now, I want to talk about briefly just Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. I've got it on the screen. You don't need to turn there. But this is going to tell us that death death is not the end, but it seals our end. Where we are when we die, what we believe, what we trust in when we die, that is going to tell us where we are going to end up at the end. So Hebrews says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So here we have the end result of two groups. Everyone will die, and everyone is going to face judgment. Now, I'll get a little more specific into what that that means a little bit later, but all of us will die. All of us are going to stand before God in judgment. He is going to have a list of all the ways that we've broken his law. Now, this points to a hope that we have. It says that what Christ is going to return, he's going to bring back, he's going to resurrect all the dead. He's going to have them with him, and they are going to have a hope in Jesus Christ. He is going to, as it says, save us from not just the penalty of our sin, but even save us from death. That's the hope that we Christians have when we die. However horrible death may be, however horrible our life may be as we suffer before then, we have an an infinite and eternal hope in Jesus Christ that he will return, he will bring us back, and we will live forever with him. But if you die without Jesus Christ, if you do not put your full trust in him to save you from your sin, I guarantee you, I can tell you where what your end is and there is no hope in it so understand the weight of that there's no hoping for the best there's no hoping that your good deeds are enough or that you were a good enough christian there's one thing that saves you and that is faith in jesus christ and the work that he did on the cross but back back to happy topics Uh, the third thing i want to talk about is a hope that we have beyond this life so we've talked about the hope that the dead have, right? If, if we were to die today, you know, if we were to walk out and the sun were to explode like it feels it's going to, we know what's going to happen to us. We know what our end result is. But even we who are alive, we can still think with hope. We don't have to just think about, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be so great when I'm dead because I'm going to get to be with Jesus, but I'll just kind of suffer and deal with this life or just do what I want now knowing that my sins are paid for. As Christians, we know where our true end is. And this is where I think... Our greatest encouragement in this text is going to come from is that even today with every decision we make when we are faced with the temptation of sin when we are um, given the ability through God to pursue holy things we have something that we're looking forward to and it says then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord this life is so temporary. Everything that we deal with now, it seems like the biggest deal in the world. The temptations we face, they seem completely insurmountable. But if we think about life in terms of, we're here for 80 years, 90 if we're lucky, 100 if we're eating really, really well. That, that seems like such a long time, but it is a blip on the scale of the fact that in 10,000 years, Christians are gonna be with Christ. In a hundred thousand years, we're going to be with Christ. 20 million years from now, we're going to be with Christ because this says, we're going to be with him forever. Now, when we really think about the weight of that, and we're going to really kind of get into what this is going to look like. But when we look at our problems, our struggles, our weaknesses in light of the fact of what we get to do for eternity, suddenly it makes sense why we as Christians care. It's not just about making our lives today better. It's about looking forward to an eternity without sin, of getting to spend every day with our Savior, of being with other Christians who have also placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And they also are not sinful, so we don't have to deal with those, maybe unpleasant parts of of dealing with other sinners who have been saved by grace. But this reminds us what we live for. We are living for our savior, not just today, so that we can have better lives today, so that we can feel better about not sinning today. We're living because we know what is coming next. We are going to stand before Jesus. We're going to see all the sins that he had to die for. And we're gonna hear him say that we are forgiven, that our debt has been paid. And so today we can keep racking up that debt. You know, we can't outsin Christ's sacrifice. We cannot outsin God's goodness but why would we want to? There is so much more to our lives as people who are gonna live forever than just giving into that addiction, giving into that desire to be angry, giving into that bit of laziness, sleeping in instead of going to church, you know, watching TV instead of reading our Bibles. All those things, they seem so big in the moment, but at the end of the day, you know, if if you have dealt with children, you know, toddlers, or if you remember <laughs> when you were a kid, you know, there, you know, mom wouldn't let you get that candy bar at the store. She made you eat healthy. She made you drink water. She made you go to bed before two o'clock in the morning. And you know, we would throw our fits and we would be angry. And we would say, no, I need this now. This is all I can have to be happy. Now we look at those children or we look back at ourselves and we realize how ridiculous that was, how small minded our thoughts were, how little we understood about what life was really about. 10,000 years from now, when we are with Christ, we're gonna look at this life and think the same thing, that all those sins that we were so confident we needed to give into, all those things that seemed so impossible, all those times where we chose our desires over the desires of God, we're gonna look back and see, I was a dumb child. I was such a fool. But God is still good even when we do that. So that's it for the text, 15 minutes, but you're not done, you're not done. So Paul here, he is giving what I would say is a very basic encouragement. He is saying, the dead have hope, you who are alive have hope, we're gonna live forever with Jesus. And that's a good truth. But Paul is is talking about something here that while he doesn't dig into it, the rest of God's word does. And so I think that if we're gonna be able to look at this and look towards that eternal view of what God is doing today, what he will do soon and what we're gonna be doing for eternity, My desire is that it will give us just a bigger picture of God, a bigger picture of this life, and a bigger picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. So some of this might sound weird. Some of it might sound like it's from, you know, uh, an action movie or something like that. Uh, If you've seen the Left Behind series, some of it may sound like it's from a terrible Christian movie. But what I want to do is walk us briefly through what God's word has revealed about what is coming after this life so that we can see, when I talk about we have hope after this life, we have hope beyond this world, what that is going to look like. Now, we don't know the specifics. There is stuff that I will tell you Christians are gonna argue about until Christ actually returns and sets us straight. What I'm gonna share with you is a, something that I believe Sailorville would agree with, uh, my church would agree with. Um, again, there's things that, you know, maybe your own church tradition growing up, you've heard differently and that's okay because the big thing, the, the last thing I'm gonna talk about is what we can all agree on and that is gonna be the most important. But let's get into some fun stuff about essentially what is coming next. What has God revealed that we can look forward to? So, you know, we're sitting here in this world, you know, things are bad. Uh, you know, maybe the weather is getting worse. The, the world itself are getting worse. People seem more sinful. And from a from a secular worldview, this is all there is to it. We have to just try not to blow ourselves up long enough for the sun to explode and end everything anyway, right? But God has showed us something different in his word. And again, this would take I mean, this takes hours. You know, when, when I've studied this, I mean, there's, there's books written about it. There's lengthy um, uh, lectures and things like that. So me trying to cover it in, in five, 10 minutes, it is what it is. But the next thing we can look forward to is what is often called by Christians as the rapture. Um, Paul talked about it in the text we read about how we will all be caught up in a moment. Uh, we also see it in 1 Corinthians 15:52, which says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So I put quotes around rapture because a lot of people make a big stink about, well, rapture is not actually in the Bible, so it's not real. Well, it is. It's just about definitions. So rapture basically means to be caught up in something. So our text tonight in 1 Thessalonians talks about how we will be caught up. That's all that's talking about, is the rapture is when Christ comes back for the living and the dead and takes us out of this world. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to be in the air. He's not going to be on earth, so it won't be his second coming, but he's going to basically breach the world, pull his people out, and then things are really going to get started. After that, we have what is called the tribulation and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we've got Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27 in Revelation chapters six to 19. I'm not gonna read it all. Feel free to take notes and check it tonight. Um, But there's two very important things here. First is the tribulation. If you've heard of the left behind books or you've heard hellfire and brimstone preachers, maybe you've heard of this. This is what many Christians would argue is a seven year period where God is basically going to just dump his wrath on the earth. However bad anything on this earth has ever been, Nothing compared to what it's going to look like when God is no longer holding back his wrath against sin on the earth. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be crazy weather that's killing people. There's going to be war that kills people. Basically, everything's going to be killing people because this is God's judgment on sin. This is us not even getting a full picture of what, how much God hates sin, but he is going to not be holding back as much as he does today. In that time, there, those of us, none, none of us will see the tribulation. If you are today a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ is gonna pull you out before then. But if you are not a Christian when this happens, you're gonna live at least for some length of time seeing this. Now during this time, it appears that people will still be turning to Christ and still be being saved, but they are going to have to live through this. So it'd be really smart on your part, if you're on the fence, not to wait until Christ comes to get your head right. But that's not all there is to it. The tribulation, it is going to be horrible. It is going to be fire, death, blood, the worst of the worst. But for those who are in Christ, those who Christ has brought out of the world, we get to attend what's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And we see this in Revelation 19. Essentially what this is, is the church, Christians today, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. And Christ died On the cross and in a way that was the Bible would compare that to paying the dowry for a bride you know from way back in the day you pay money to to in exchange for your bride then Christ is going to bring us out and that is him basically calling on his bride and bringing us to him and then we get to have the full culmination of our salvation where we get to be with Christ in heaven having this huge supper with every single Christian who has ever lived and everyone who placed their trust in God and was considered righteous before Christ came. So you get to meet David, Moses, maybe Adam and Eve, I'm not too sure, that's a, that's a big old discussion there. But um, if you had a family member or friend who was a follower of Christ and they have perished, they're gonna be up there. No sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. It is going to be a beautiful time with our Savior and everyone that he has saved. And after that, that's not it. You know, it's it's gonna be a big supper, but a supper has to end. Now, when that ends, we have what is called Christ's thousand year reign. You may have heard of it as the millennial kingdom, um, but this is the time we see in Revelation 20 verses one to 10 where Christ is coming back and he is going to have his second coming. So I said before, he's gonna return in the air and bring Christians out. This is the time after the seven years of tribulation, after this, this glorious supper with our savior, where he's going to come back to earth with all Christians who have died, those who died during the tribulation and before it, we're all going to come back to earth with Christ. Now, during this, all of his enemies are going to be defeated. He is going to come, and the Bible says that he is going to wipe out all of his enemies. It's going to be basically just a giant nuclear holocaust against everyone who is still a rebel against God during this time. Also during this, Satan, it says, is going to be bound in chains. So it is just going to be Christ fully reigning as king on the earth. And we, as Christians, get to be there with him, actually be physically present with our Savior as he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Uh, Now, during this time, people will still be born because there are Christians who will survive through this seven years of just horrible stuff. They're going to have kids. Now, even though these Christians are saved, just because your mom and dad were saved doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? It's, it's not, you have to own your own faith. And there will be, over the course of a thousand years, children being born, growing up, and still rejecting Jesus. They see Jesus, they can talk to Jesus, and they will still reject him, just like we do today. And over the course of a thousand years, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, think of pyramid schemes, you know, two, two sinful adults create four sinful adults, and they create sinful adults, and on and on. And this is just, the earth is going to be covered again with people who, despite having Jesus there, They're still going to rebel against him. Now, after this thousand years, Satan is released. And doing what he does, he is going to basically go across all the earth, gather all these rebels who are still rejecting Jesus Christ, still refusing to see him as Lord and Master of their lives, still refusing to know that he is God of the universe and not them. Satan is going to gather all these people in this one final battle, called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Now this is just, basically this is sin's one last hurrah. This is Satan's last attempt to do what he's been trying to do since the beginning, to overthrow God's creation, to to destroy every good thing that God has made. And he's gonna have every rebel on earth with him. But, but we don't have to wonder, because we don't know exactly what it's gonna look like, but God has already, promised us the victory of Jesus Christ. It's not even gonna be close. We don't have to wonder, oh, you know, well, you know, if I'm fighting in Jesus' army, am I gonna die? No, Christ will have absolute victory because he has absolute victory over darkness. He has victory over darkness today. He will have victory over darkness forever. And so after this battle, all sin is essentially going to be wiped out. But before that can happen, We're going to have what's called the great white throne judgment. Now, up to this point, I told you already that a lot of Christians, they'll kind of argue over the details, the timing, what this means, what that means. This is the point where all Christians should be able to agree on what's going to happen because we are going to stand before Christ. And I'm just going to, I'm going to read it here. So this is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. It says, then I saw a great white throne. according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So I said at the beginning, death is not the end. We don't just blip out of existence, we go somewhere. And death is not the end, but death, where we are at death, tells us what's gonna happen to us. If you die, and you have not fully trusted jesus christ to save you you have not seen that you are a sinner who has broken god's laws you've lied you've gotten angry which christ says is having murder in your heart you have lusted which christ says is committing adultery you have broken god's law even once even once is enough to be considered guilty before god because god is not a teddy bear god is not an accountant balancing the scale seeing if your good outweighs your bad god is a judge now In our courts, maybe this doesn't make sense, but a good judge looks at someone's actions and they say, have you broken the law, yes or no? If you have, you are punished according to the law that you have broken. A good judge, not a judge today, a good judge. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, that's me. There are good judges out there who I assume love the Lord, who are fair, but a good and perfect judge, which God is, he is not going to say, you know, you, you murdered this family, you robbed from this bank, you attacked all these people, but you also did community service, you were a good dad to your kids, you were a faithful husband, you know, you aren't as bad as Hitler standing over here, so I'll let you off. That's not a good judge. That's a wicked judge. We don't want God to be a wicked judge, because if he is, we have no hope. But instead, God is a good judge. He is going to look at every single deed we've done and say, has this broken my law if we are guilty of one thing we are guilty of being punished for all of it and if you die without jesus christ i guarantee you that's what you have to look forward to there are no second chances there are no hoping for the best there's not another life after this where you can try again after reincarnation this life is all you have to recognize that you have broken god's law and if you realize that and you realize that you are guilty there is one solution. There is one way to change that ending, and that is to realize that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. He took your punishment under God's wrath. If you realize that, there is nothing that should be stopping you from asking him to save you, to forgive you, for you to turn away from all this sin that you've trusted to bring you happiness, to bring you joy, to try to earn God's favor with your good works and your good church attendance and your Bible reading. None of that matters. It is only what Jesus Christ did on the cross that can save us because only Christ could take God's punishment in our place. And the beautiful thing is that if Christ, if, if, if we ask Christ to save us, we are truly saved. He promises that we are guaranteed saved. And if God has taken out his wrath on Christ, if Christ has been punished in our place, what is there left for us? Absolutely nothing. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. But we can't just say, oh, well, you know, I go to church and so hopefully that applies to me. No, we have to ask Jesus Christ to save us. And if you don't, then your name is not going to be written in what's called the book of life. Your end is the lake of fire with everything else wicked and evil and broken in creation. You are going to be right there with them in the lake of fire. But if your name is, is in the book of life. If you ask Jesus Christ to save you and truly trust him for salvation, not just praying a prayer, truly trust. Oh, excuse me. I thought I'd get through this without water. Messing up my flow. All right. But if, if you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ to save you, you know what comes after this judgment. You're going to stand before God. You're going to see every lie, every thought, every action that you've done laid out, but you're also going to have your name written in the book of life. Jesus Christ will stand next to you. I'm, 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 this isn't in the Bible, but here's what I picture. Jesus Christ will stand next to you and he will say, he is guilty, she is guilty, but I have paid the debt. There is no wrath left for them. They are innocent. Look at them like you look at me. Treat them as though they've lived a perfect life and never broken your law. Because that's what salvation is all about. That is what God does when we are saved. And so after this judgment, after we, after we hear the reality of what we've done, how much we sinned against God and seen what Jesus Christ did. Then, last thing, is that we get to spend eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. God is going to wipe everything out. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. No sin, no sorrow, no sadness, no pain. It will be perfection because it will be with Jesus Christ. And that is what we get to do forever. That is what we're looking forward to. That is why today we care about anything that we do we're not just living to be better people now we're not just living so that we feel less guilty we are living because we know what comes next and if we can live without sin then if if God's desire is that we are not angry in the future with Christ we are not lustful we are not addicted to pornography or substances if that's God's will in the future that's also his will today and we want to live our life today like we're going to be living it forever because that is what God desires for us. That is what we were created for, is to live a life for our God. So Paul said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I think these words bring great encouragement, but I also think they bring great warning depending on what you believe today. So if you have Christ, if you have trusted him for salvation, you have hope. Nothing can take away your salvation, no amount of sin, no amount of your emotions telling you otherwise, nothing that a pastor or another Christian tells you. If you have truly trusted Jesus Christ, you are saved forever. Your your name is written in very expensive sharpie in the book of life. Nothing is taking it out of there. You know what your future is, and it is beautiful and perfect and amazing. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have hope. Christ isn't just one hope among many. Christ is our only hope. Christ is the only way to see forgiveness in the Father. If you're leaving here and you know that you're not a Christian, or you're not even sure, maybe, maybe not. If you walk out of here and you die, or if you're sitting here now and you die, you know exactly where you're going. Take it seriously. This life is so meaningless compared to eternity an eternity with Christ or an eternity in the lake of fire. Think truly about what you're trusting in and where you're going and whether or not you have hope as those who love and follow Jesus Christ, or if you have no hope, just like the rest of the world that hates him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good for sending Jesus Christ, so good for forgiving us, for overlooking all the sin that we bring to you and not treating us as a transaction where we have to do something to earn your favor. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. I just pray that those of us here who know him as savior, that we will, we will look forward to this eternity that we have and live our lives knowing that it's true, living as people who are looking forward to more than just another day of struggle or another day of happiness, but instead looking forward to an eternity with Jesus Christ. I also pray for those who don't know that, who aren't confident, who aren't sure that you would not let them rest until they can say with confidence that they have hope or don't have hope. So God, just be with us tonight. Be with our conversations in the breakout groups. Um, And just be with us as we are living our lives as people who truly believe who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.